All right. Good morning. We're so glad that you're here today. And I'm on, right? Okay. All right. I couldn't hear myself. Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Yeah, thank you for being here. And uh, some of you, this is your first time with us. We're glad that you came today and to worship with us. And um, in your program, as you came in, it's a little connection card. And uh, we just actually take a minute, fill that out. At the end of the service, we'll have an offering time. You can drop down your offering basket. And I'm Pastor Scott, and it's just my honor to be here with you to, uh, to share God's word. And um, we are in a series called Who's Your One? Who's Your One? And uh, this is uh, the third week that we're in it. Next Sunday could be our last uh, Sunday in this series. And, uh, and, and next week we're going to have Mission Sunday. We do this every year, Mission Sunday is one of my favorite services that we do, and uh, where we take a minute and just recognize missionaries, mission work from here to all around the world, and um, we have our Thanksgiving food drive next Sunday night, uh, next Sunday morning, it's the culmination of all of our collection, and uh, so every week, some of you have been bringing food, been dropping it off, our goal is to feed 250 families, a Thanksgiving dinner, and uh, partner with a church in Mount Clemens called Journey Church, and they're doing a great job. Great job. In fact, they're one of our churches that we support in uh, Journey Church in Mount Clemens, and, um, and that's next, uh, next week. And so next Sunday is uh, the last day for the collection, and it's turkey day. So you bring in your frozen turkeys and wives that are talking about your husband, okay? All right? Some of you got, you know what I'm talking about. So bring a frozen butterball or whatever, I don't care. There's a lot of deals out there, a lot of specials. So find a turkey and, um, and, and bring a couple, or however many you feel led to bring, and bring that here next Sunday morning. Uh, and all throughout the week, you can bring uh, food. You say, hey, I want to bring some food and all that stuff. And, and some of you have been able to give online. Or you can give in the offering basket. $40 will help us pay for a couple meals. And uh, so if you're interested, hey, can I just give you money and you guys buy the turkeys? We'll do that. So, uh, so that's um, a different way to be involved and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's Sunday, Mission Sunday. We'll see all of these Thanksgiving food bags up here. We'll have Operation Christmas Child boxes. Uh, we'll have a couple guests, uh, mission, uh, missionaries. We have my friend David Huey from Atlanta. He oversees the nonprofit called Hungry for a Day, and he supports us in, in a lot of different ways with our Thanksgiving food drive. And then we have Irfan, He's a missionary to Iraq, and he'll be here next Sunday with us as well. It's going to be a great, great day. We close out this whole series of who's your one, this whole idea of mission, and, and putting people in our hearts and minds for mission. And that's what we're doing. We're talking about, you know, how we can reach the one, how we can reach the one. Before we can reach the masses, it starts with one. It starts with one. And in the early church, there was explosive growth. Explosive growth because they cared about the one. Everyone in the early church was sharing the greatest news that the world has ever heard. They believed that, that what they had in their hands was the most powerful, greatest, was the greatest power to change the heart. It was the greatest power to change the heart than anything else that was shown in the world. They believed they had it. They believed that this was life changing, that it was eternity changing. In the 1940s, uh, there was a secret project. The secret project was called the Manhattan Project. 
And the Manhattan Project was a, uh, uh, had a, one thing that they had to do, and that was to create the most powerful weapon in the world, the atomic bomb. And uh, there were two goals for this project, two goals that they had, you know, that were their core values. The core values for this Manhattan Project were secrecy and security. Security and secrecy. That was so important to them. It was so important for a national and national intelligence. And of course, we know that what came out of it um, essentially, you know, ended the, the Great War, World War II. Um, but the main research center was taking place, had taken place in New Mexico, and uh, because it was chosen there in a very geographic location, it became one of the most secure sites in the world. They had, they had barbed wire fences, you know, guard towers 24-7, uh, everyone coming in, coming out, and nobody knew that it was existed. Nobody knew that this was happening. Nobody knew that in New Mexico that there was this Manhattan Project you know, trying to find or trying to develop the greatest bomb ever. And so they had all secured, even employees, they had their badges on, they had their pictures on, they had their level of clearance and coming in, you know, they were checked and coming out, they were checked. You know, they couldn't, you know, all their mail, anything that was mailed, you know, it was vetted, everything had to go through, um, everything was secured. And they had, uh, along all the major buildings, and all the major checkpoints, they had a phrase. And here's the phrase. It was just to remind them of their secrecy and, and their, and their uh, security. Here's the phrase. What you see here, what you do here, what you hear here, when you leave here, let it stay here. And that was their phrase. And I share that because it seems to me that it's the way that many believers and a lot of churches treat the gospel. It's a big secret. We don't, we don't tell anyone. We've got it secured. Even though we have in our powers, even in our hands, we have the greatest power that the world has ever known that can change your life, that can move someone to a, a relationship to Jesus Christ. We act as if it, that we're supposed to keep it a secret. We keep it secured. And it wasn't that way in the early church. They went out telling everyone. In fact, that was not their creed, tell no one. So that was not part of their thing. Hey, we don't tell anybody. No, they told everybody. In fact, they were constantly asked the question, who's your one? Who are you reaching? Who are you going after for Jesus? Who needs to know about Jesus? They were concerned about who is your one. The very first person to lay on Jesus in his ministry was a man by the name of John the Baptist. And immediately, John the Baptist began pointing people to Jesus, pointing him out. John chapter 1, we see John the Baptist in the wilderness. And he's preaching. He's got a crowd of people, and, and with him were two of his own disciples. And as Jesus walked by, he just pointed them to Jesus. And he didn't push them to Jesus. He didn't try to shout them. He just, pushed, he just pointed them to Jesus, and there was a the chain reaction that happened. We see it here in the John chapter 1, verse number 35. And we'll look at the story and see how the chain reaction unfolds. Verse number 35, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And I turned around, Jesus saw them following. I said, what do you guys want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? 
He said, come, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Look at verse number 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what, Jesus had, what John had said and who followed Jesus, who was one of the two guys. And notice what he did. The first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which then, which, which when translated is Peter. So the very first person, let's just stop here for just a minute. The very first person that Andrew thought, that, you know, that thought about, that he said, man, I need to get this person to Jesus, was his own brother, a family member. How many relatives do you know that could be your one? How many people within your own family that you want to pray for and reach for the one? How many close friends, neighbors you have lived next to for years do you have that you could reach for one? For one. It's all about influence. It's all about the people that you're involved with. Look at verse number 43. We see the same idea. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, hey, you follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, and he found Nathaniel. And he told him, hey, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophet also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So we see this. Andrew went to, Andrew went to a family member. We see Philip, he goes to a friend. And one started at home, one started with his next-door neighbor, perhaps, but they both started with people that they knew. They started reaching people that they knew, people that they had influence. Let me, let me let you in on a bit of secret. The people that you have, that you can reach for Jesus is the person that you have influence. The people that you are involved with already. And I'm here to say this. We have got to leverage the influence that God has given you. You have a circle of influence that I don't have. You have a circle of influence that no one else has but you. And, and you, you have those people around you, you have the responsibility to do whatever it takes to pray for that person and to find a way to invite them to Jesus. The word find in the passage of Scripture that we just read is mentioned five different times. We have to be intentional about who we're trying to reach. We have to be intentional. You always find what you are looking for, and you always know what you are looking to do with something once you find it. That's what influence is all about. So you see Jesus, he invites Andrew, and Andrew invites Peter, and then Jesus invites Philip, and Philip invites Nathaniel. We see the chain reaction that's happening. And, and I love how Philip, when he reaches out to Nathaniel, I want you to see what Philip said. You know, he said, hey, I want you to come meet this guy named Jesus from Nazareth. And, and we see this in verse 46. Nathaniel said, Nazareth? You know, he said, can anything good come from there? And, Nathan, you know, and Philip said this. Here's the invitation. He said, come and see. You got to come and see it. You got to come and see the person I'm talking about. He offered an invitation to come and see. By the way, did that phrase ring the bell? Jesus did the same thing with the two disciples. 
that wanted to follow him, that were following him. And he said, what are y'all doing? And he said, you know, we're just checking you out. And where are you staying at? And he said, why don't you come and see? Come and see. Come and see. And Philip, come and see. Come and see. They weren't just extended an invitation. They, did, they, just, they extended an invitation out of love. They made a relationship and said, hey, come and see. They didn't try to pressure them. You know, they didn't try to twist their arms. They were just, hey, come and see. Come and see. And unchurched people, by and large, will visit a church or start coming to church simply because of an invitation they get from someone that they know. Come and see. Come and see. In fact, Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19, Jesus mandated all of us. He mandated all of us to do this. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples. And he said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I am with you always to the very end of the age. The word go, when he said go and make disciples, the word go literally means, if you're taking note, as you are going. As you are going. It's not so much a destination, but more of a way of life. He said, this is not something, hey, you know, I got to go reach somebody for Jesus today at 2 o'clock. No, Jesus is talking about as a way of life, as you are going, you're looking for opportunity to have a conversation that is an invitation of come and see. You're looking for those opportunities all day long, looking for ways to invite people to Jesus. Now, here's what I want to do. The last couple of weeks, we've, we've gotten very good about why we should reach the one. We, we talk about, you know, um, some inspiration. I hope it got you inspired to know, okay, I need to do this. And, and, and you get all revved up, ready to go. And, and then the minute you walk out into the parking lot, we get scared. It, it's funny. We sing a song, I, I, we're no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. And uh, we sing it like it's no big deal in here. But man, when we walk out in the world, all of a sudden fear takes over. And they say, okay. I, I don't know how to do this thing, how to reach the one. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of terrifying. And honestly, it is sometimes terrifying. I'll be honest, it is for me too. You know, it, it's easy to talk about Jesus here, but it's difficult to talk about Jesus out there. But we need to have this idea, hey, I'm a child of the living God. I don't have the spirit of fear. I should not have the spirit of fear, but I should have the spirit of love. I should have the spirit of power and a sound mind. I am a child of God. And so here's what I want to do. I want to help you take a next step. I want to get practical, super, super practical. Now, some of you, you can do much more than what I'm going to talk about. And there's a few of you that can do this. There's a few, a few of you that can say, hey, let me open up the Bible and go through, you know, uh, several passages of Scripture, and you can lead them to Christ. And more power to you, and, uh, and I want, that's awesome. But I know most of us here, that's very intimidating. I, I want to do a baby step. Remember the movie, What About Bob? I love that movie, you know. Baby step to the elevator. You know, baby step to the door. You know, not big steps. But baby steps. I want to give you some baby steps here. And uh, what I want to do is I want to give us a new habit called a keystone habit. Now, you know what a keystone habit is. A keystone habit is a habit 
that has a domino effect that goes down, that trickles down, and that affects other areas of your life. It affects maybe your company or your community or, your, or even a country. A keystone habit. A keystone habit. It's a habit that's so powerful that it begins to affect everything that you do. For example, some of you might have a habit, a keystone habit, and you might relate to what I'm talking about. You track what you eat, or you journal what you eat, and that can be a keystone habit, right? That can be a keystone habit, because if you journal what you eat, you pay attention to what you're eating. And if you pay attention to what you're eating, then you begin to eat healthier. And if you begin to eat healthier, you sleep better. And if you sleep better, then you do better at your job. And if you do better at your job, then you get more money. If you make more money, your children will love you. And if your children love you, they can stay in town and have grandchildren that you can have assets to. <laughs> I can't promise the last two, okay? But trickle down. The keystone habit. Keystone habit. Another keystone habit is that dinner. Maybe you do this with your family. You have a habit for your family. So listen, we're going to have dinner at the table four or five times a week. We're going to make it happen. We're going to make it work. And that's going to be our priority. Because we, we start there and we say, hey, we turn off the, 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 the TVs, we turn off the phones, and we start having conversation. And, and, and we start getting involved in the clarity, the conversation. And, and out of that, you know, homework gets done, and, and they get good grades. And, and all my stuff with a very simple habit of, hey, we get to meet together as a family. It's a trickle-down effect. Trickle-down effect. For some, another keystone habit is flossing your teeth. You know, it's just a little habit. You floss your teeth, and, and then it... it, it Dominoes and other stuff. It sets the tone. Making your bed might be a keystone habit. You make your bed, everything else starts to unfold the way it should in the morning. If you don't make your bed, that means your whole day is ruined. I, I don't know. Keystone habit. Keystone habit. I want to invite you to start a new keystone habit this morning. And I believe that this is the one thing that every single one of us can do that will make the difference for someone in our community. Here's the keystone habit, if you're looking at the board. It's simple. Invest and invite. Invest and invite. Now let me just pause here for a minute. This is an old school idea. And I'm just bringing it back because it's so good. And it's so true. Invest in relationship, and invite. You love your neighbors, you love your friends, you love the people you work with. And when the time is right, you invite them to church. You invest in a relationship, you invite them to church. Not because they're projects. They're not projects. They're people. People matter. It might be as simple as, you know, someone you work with, and they're new. And you start building a relationship. It starts with a simple, hi, my name is John. What's your name? And, and you get to know them. Oh, you have a family. Oh, that's great. Down the road, he tells you, say, hey, you know, he's not a church person at all, but he, said, he knows that you're a church person. He said, hey, you know, 
I, I don't know how to ask you this, but my wife is having surgery next week. Can you, can you throw some prayers? At you? Say, Man, I'd love to pray for you, and I'll pray for your family, pray for your wife. And, and then you might say, would it be okay if my family make a meal after the surgery for you guys? Small investments. I said, oh, man, that'd be awesome. Yeah, you don't have to do that. No, no, we'd be glad to do it. We'd be honored to do it. And you, you make a meal for them. You know, and or maybe you find out later on, oh, he got a birthday coming up. You actually write a card. And you put a $5, you know, Starbucks card maybe, to the, or $5 to Tim Hortons, whatever. You know, you find out what they're like. And it's something simple. And I say, hey, man, happy birthday. You're infecting in the relationship. And when the time is right, you'll find the opportunity to invite them to church, and they'll be more open to coming. They won't be like, freak out, like, where did that come from? You have a relationship. You're inviting them. And the reason you invite them to church, the reason you invite them to church, it's the same reason that you would invite someone to check out a new restaurant or a good restaurant. Why? because you don't want them to miss out. You say, man, it's good. The service is great. You know, they bring your food out in a timely manner. The food is excellent. It's hot. It's, it's wonderful. The dessert out of the world. I mean, it's good. And you tell someone about it because you don't want them to miss out. And for us, that's the reason why you don't want you invite people. You don't want them to miss out. You know, for so many years, at, we were at Lutheran High North, Set up and tear down every week. We didn't have a sign, you know. We were the best kept secret of Macomb County. We, we tried to get the word out, but it was hard because we didn't have a sign up. And uh, in, in case you're wondering, you know, you're like, well, what about our sign out there? It, 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 it's a little flimsy. It looks like it's ready to fly off at any point. And I get that. In about two or three weeks, we'll have a brand new road sign down there. It's look fantastic, you know. And hopefully the snow will be out of the way. And uh, we could put that sign in. Um, hopefully that wouldn't be a problem. But listen, you know, we, we were the best kept secret, so we had to rely on you and say, hey, you got to come check out the church and the school. And people were like, that's so weird. I said, I know, but it's so good. You just got to see it. You just got to come and see. You got to come and see. And, and, and so you got to invest, invite. We got to let the secret out. We've got so much to offer here. Got amazing youth program, got amazing kids program, doing mission stuff all the time. They got stuff going on. We've got to let people know what's happening. We don't want them to miss out. Invest and invite. And Jesus modeled this so well. In, in, in Mark chapter 2, he was, uh, he was recruiting his disciples still, and he came across a man who was a tax collector named Levi. Now, we know Levi changed his name to Matthew, and he wrote the Gospel of Matthew. But he would follow, he would walk past Levi and say, hey, Levi, quit what you're doing and come follow me. And he was a tax collector. Now, tax collectors, you know, the reputation haven't changed too much. But, you know, tax collectors in the Bible time were, I, I would call the, the, the biblical mafia. All right? They, they would tell you, hey, you know, the government might only want 20% of your money. But, hey, I'm the tax collector, and I'm going to up it up to 30% because I'm going to take that 10%. That belongs to me. And if you don't give, they come shaking you down, all right? And so, they put, you know, so Levi was a part of that. And, and Levi quit counting the money and followed Jesus. 
And guess what? Matthew, Levi, had an influence. You know what his influence was? They weren't weren't church people. His circle of influence, the people that he was doing life with, were other tax collectors and sinners. You see this in Mark chapter 2. Notice what happened. In verse number 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Levi invited many tax collectors and sinners, and they were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. I mean, picture what happened. Levi's life got changed. and said, man, you guys don't want to miss out on this. You have got to come meet this man named Jesus. Come and see. And he invited his friends. And Jesus, I loved it, Jesus had a party. He hung out with the sinners. He hung out with the outcasts. He hung out with the people that nobody liked. He hung out with them. Jesus had a party. He didn't isolate himself. He invests in relationship. He invests in relationship. Now, not only are we going to invest and invite to the people in our community and the people that we work with, but we also want to look for ways to invite strangers. Now, for some of you, that you just got a little nervous. And I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you a little plan that will help you invite someone you never know. Maybe you met them. Maybe you're standing in line. Maybe you're in a waiting room and you have a quick conversation. And I'm going to invite you to listen and be aware of three little knots. Three little knots. Three little knots are not in church, not going well, not prepared for it. Not in church, not going well, not prepared for it. You might come across someone and say, and they might say, oh, we're not church people. They say, oh, you should come to my church. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Oh, we just moved here, and man, this is overwhelming. We just weren't prepared for it. Oh, you should come to my church. So, things aren't going well in our marriage. You should come to our church. And like, guys, is the church the answer for everything? Maybe. But what is it not the answer for? What is it the gospel not the answer for? And so we're looking, we're looking for the three knots. Not in church, not going well, not prepared. Adrian Rogers, he's a pastor who passed away many years ago, the pastor in the church in Memphis, Tennessee, one of the largest churches in our country at the time. And he gets on a plane and uh, brings a big Bible. It was back then when we didn't have a smartphone. All right? And so he brought a big Bible, all right? Big, big Bible. And he sat down in the plane, <laughs> opened up the big Bible, okay? And I'll turn the page. And there's a guy next to him, he's like, what is going on here? And he finally said, hey, you know, what, what are, why are you reading that? Why are you reading that big Bible? And Adrian Rogers said, well, there are only three problems in the world, sin, sorrow, and death. And this addresses all three. And then he looked back down and kept on reading. 
in the conversation. Just kept on reading. And the guy sitting next to him just kept squirming in his seat. And finally, about 15, 20 minutes into the flight, he said, okay, I've been trying to think of something that's not related to sin, sorrow, and death. And, and my friend, there's just three problems in this world, right? There's sin, there's sorrow, and there's death. And my friend, you're the jars of clay, I'm the jar of clay, and we're the containers, the broken container. We're messed up people, but God's using us as jars of clay to carry out the hope of the world. So yes, if, somebody, if somebody's not in church, they should come to church. If somebody's not prepared for what life throws at them, then we can introduce them to the person who can help them be prepared. If things aren't going well, I mean, that's what we do. We, we want to help people. And so when you hear one to three knots, you go, oh, you should come to my church. You should come to my church. Now, we're not stopping here. I'm going to take it a little bit further. I'm going to give you a very specific invitation. And this is too important. I'm not playing around. It's so important. And here's the specific invitation. Come and sit with me. Come sit with me. Come sit with me. Why don't you say it with me? Say it with me. Come sit with me. Say it again. Come sit with me. There you go. Now, hey, why don't you check out our church online? Now, hey, why don't you just come in whenever you can? Hey, you know, why don't you check it out? No, no. I want you to use a very specific invitation. The invitation is come sit with me. What means? You have to be here. <laughs> have to be here. And, then, and you have to save them a seat. That's the expectations we were talking about last week. You gotta expect, hey, I'm, you gotta come and come sit with me and say, okay, I'll be there. You gotta work it out. You gotta tell them we got two times. And uh, what time is good for you? Well, well 9 15 is too early. I, I like to go to 11 o'clock. Let's just say you go to 9 15. You say, you know what? I'll come to 11 o'clock. You come sit with me. You come sit with me. If you're a volunteer, I promise you, we can work it out. You can work it out. You can call, call up your volunteer leaders and say, hey, listen, I've got someone that needs Jesus. He's coming to church, and I invited that person to come sit with me, and I'm supposed to serve at the 11 o'clock hour. Can I find someone to switch so I can sit with my friend who needs Jesus? Come sit with me. Now, I'm going to make it even better. And then there's more, all right? I'm going to teach you the elevator pitch. Not a sales pitch, but the elevator pitch. This is why they should come to your church. When you say, you know, come sit with me, they might respond, okay, so what's your church about? You know, what kind of church, you know? Is it, is it you know, uh, a, a born church? They might say, is it a exciting church? You know, and they might say, you know, to be honest with you, you know, I'd rather chew on broken glass than to go to church. I mean, I don't know why I'm going to church. I, why would I go to your dumb church? They might, they might ask you that. And, and so here's the elevator pitch. They say, why should I come to your church? Why should I come sit with you? This is what you say. Life is complicated. You want to get it right. We want to help. They said, why should I come to your church? They said, well, here's the thing. You know, you know, life is complicated. You want to get it right? I want to get it right. Another church. 
We just want to help. We just want to help. I said, I know parenting is complicated, it's challenging, parenting is tough. You know that, and I know that, but you want to get it right. I mean, you've got these little ones, they matter to you. You want to get it right at Layport Church. We want to help. I know it's complicated, moving to a, a new city, new, neighbor, new neighborhood. You want to get it right. Oh, well, at our church, we just want to help. Just want to help. So what's your church about? Well, you know how life can be complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you want to get it right? Yes, of course I want to get it right. We're at our church. We just want to help. You know, life is complicated. Parenting is complicated. You know, uh, school's complicated. Dating's complicated. Everything is complicated. You should pick whatever season of life you're in. And I know you want to get it right. I want to get it right. And at our church, we just want to help. By the way, we, we don't invite people because we want our church to be bigger. I know that kind of sounds like a shock. It's what we're talking about. No, we don't invite people just so we can have a bigger church. God, God is not impressed with size. God, God cares about the one. He cares about the individual stories. We, we, we don't invite people because we think there's something wrong with you. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and in the middle of that conversation, they, they pull out a, a breath mint? You're like, what's up with that? What are you trying to tell me, dude? Is my, is my, bad, is my breath bad? He says, oh, no, no, just take it. Don't say another word, take it. All right. Or you're in a conversation with someone and, you know, they keep bringing up Weight Watchers. You say, hey, you should come. Weight Watchers. What are you trying to tell me? I need to lose a little. I mean, I mean, I know, I know, but you really telling me? They said, no, no, no. You should, you know, why don't you come? Oh, okay. That's not why we invite. Oh man, you could use some church. You're pretty messed up. Why don't you come with me? <laughs> Here's why we invite people to church. Here's why. Bottom line. We believe that Jesus makes our lives better. It makes us better at life. All of us, we believe that Jesus makes our lives better and makes us better at life. And it starts with me. I know that's true because I came to a relationship with Jesus Christ and I promise you my life is much, much better without him. And so many of you could say the same thing. And that's why we invite people who care about them. And we want their life to be better. We want them to grow because we believe that Jesus makes our lives better. And that's why the disciples were like, come and see, come and see. You see, sometimes it's better to experience Jesus than to try to explain Jesus. It's sometimes, to, hey, I, it's hard for me to explain everything that Jesus does. Why don't you come and see? Come and sit with me. Come and experience Jesus. And it boils down right here as we close. It really, close, it really boils down to this one last question I have for all of us. And here's the question. Will we or won't we be good stewards 
of the unprecedented opportunity in our community. Won't we be good doers of this unprecedented opportunity? You say, God, what are you talking about? Unprecedented opportunity. And I'm here to say this, God in the last six months has opened up an opportunity for us to move into a place. We've been here for two months almost. It's given us something that weak on a major road with visibility. And I don't want to just be like, hey, we got a building for the building's sake. I want us to use the building for the gospel's sake. And I want to leverage what we have so that we can reach one more for Jesus. And will we be good doers or are we going to get us for no more mentality? With a holy huddle and just, hey, no one else can break in. I pray that we will be open-handed where people can come and experience Jesus. You know, the upcoming Christmas season, one of the best times outside of Easter, this is the best time to invite people to church. There's something about, you know, baby Jesus and a manger to get people like, hey, I want to come. And for them, for some people, it's a traditional mindset, and we want to pray that they will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because he's more than a little baby in a, man, in a manger. He's a Savior that died on a cross. And we have an opportunity every Christmas to leverage Christmas for him and for the gospel's sake. And all Christmas long, it's an opportunity for you to invite someone to come sit with me. Hey, come, come, sit with me. Might be someone you know. Might be someone you met in line, and you overheard a conversation, one of the three knots. And he said, come sit with me. This year for Christmas Eve, you know, every year we've done one services because we had a big gym and big parking lot, but, you know, we're a little bit limited. And so this year, instead of two Christmas Eve services, we're doing three. I haven't even told my staff yet, which is, and I'm going to tell them tomorrow night in staff meeting. <laughs> staff meeting tomorrow night. There now. We're going to have three services, 4 o'clock, 5.30, and 7 o'clock. Because I want to reach and leverage our place in the Christmas season. I want it to be good steward so that we can reach one, reach people for Jesus. Will we or won't we be good stewards of the opportunity to inspire more people than ever to become followers of Christ? So this matters. What we're talking about matters, and it's so simple. And we can all do it. Hey, life is complicated. You want to get it right? I want to get it right? Come to church with me. And that's the keystone habit that changes everything. It starts with invest and invite. And so here's your assignment this week. Your assignment this week. And for some of you, this might happen before, before the end of the day because now I've got it in your head. You're going to be looking for the three knots. You're going to be looking around. You might have conversation with someone at lunch today. And someone might say one of the three knots. You know, I'm, you know, they might say, man, I'm not at church and things aren't, things aren't going well. Or I wasn't prepared for that. You know, we had a baby and, you know, we thought we had it under control and everything was beautiful. Then they let her take it home and things fell apart. We weren't prepared for that. Things aren't going well at home with my children, my adult son or my adult daughter. And you're going to hear one of those three things. And then you're going to have a decision to make. And I hope you'll decide to speak up and say, hey, it's complicated, isn't it? 
and you want to get it right. We all do. I struggle with getting it right sometimes too. At our church, we just want to help. Come sit with me. Come sit with me. Come experience Jesus. I pray that this week, who's your one? You reach out. I said, man, you don't have to tell him you've been praying for him or praying for her, but you can just simply say, you know what? I have an empty seat next to me. Come sit with me. Come and see who Jesus is. Our Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that the gospel is not meant to be a secret. We're not to keep it secured. But God, I pray that we would leverage the power of the gospel to everyone, everyone we know and don't know, that we will look for the opportunities that you will put on our radars to extend the invitation to someone this week. Invite them to come and sit with us. God, I pray that we will go out and leverage the gospel so that we can reach one for you. In your name I pray, amen.